Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is my friend, Jimmy Williams, president and founder of Compass Capital Management, and he's actually the host of his own podcast, Live a Life by Design. Jimmy, thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, it's my pleasure, Amy. Thank you for inviting me. My how the tables have turned. I'm usually on the other side of the table here as it relates to these podcasts, so I'm thrilled to have you as a guest. Thank you. Let's start off with what I think is a pretty simple and compelling question that our audience would love to hear from you, which is for you to tell us about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? And in particular, who helped and inspired you along the way? Oh, that's a great question. Amy, I would be honest with you. I started out as a CPA in my career, graduated with honors in undergrad school, went to work for one of the largest firms in the world and just thought that was my career path. But what I found during that five years that I was with the firm was I had this entrepreneurial burning going on in my mind and my chest. I just, I felt like I needed to be able to create something and maybe provide a little more personalized service instead of working on large corporations and, and high net worth families only. I got to work with some people that were maybe in the formative stages of their, their net worth or their, their well-being. And I, I got to play an important role in that. And it really gives me a sense of, really a sense of accomplishment for them, not necessarily for myself, but for them. And so uh, I just feel like I've been blessed with that gift to kind of have people look at things a little differently than what the world provides them. And I have this phrase I always use, control those things you can control. And too often people do not realize how much command they have of their surroundings, of their career, of their family's security. And so that's why I got in this business. So I, I got, instead of my CPA only, I got my CFP. I've got a master's in tax law. I love the technical side of this, but that's really just the, as we say, the backstage, the front stage is where we're there helping the families, meeting face to face with them. And the people that impressed me and, and encouraged me to get in this line of work, uh, Randy Thurman was a big one. He's one of my mentors. Uh, Randy has been a financial advisor for yeah, 40 years and he has just saw, he's seen me at my best. He's seen me at my worst. And he's always given me encouragement. He's kind of cut from the same cloth. And then another person that really encouraged me throughout my career was my undergrad professor, Charles Fletcher. This gentleman was a connoisseur of the accounting world. I mean, he knew his stuff inside and out. He gave me encouragement all along the way, but he always said this go where your passions lie and those passions may change in life. So, so catch that now, go where your passions lie, but they may change in life. What he's really saying is, is at my stage now, I'm, I'm a lot older than you. I'm 55. So when you're a lot older than your host, you have to always announce that on the air. So I want it to be viable. But what I tell myself is, you know, I've been now in this business for the last 20 years. And I just love the fact that we're making big impacts on families that create lifetime happiness for them, sending their kids to college. Some of these grandparents come up and said, we've never got to send a grandchild to college. We want to do that. How do we do that? That to me helps them leave a legacy. So to be very brief, I got in this business to help others realize their dreams, goals, and ambitions. And guess what? Along the way, I get to do mine as well. And lifelong learning is what I'm hearing, right? You're educating yourself all along the way, which I think is a real key personally. Have you become friends with any of your clients as you work with them? And where does that bridge start to happen in terms of the lifelong opportunities that you have in this business to meet people? 
you know, I do things probably different than some of my colleagues and, and my fellow uh, Cambridge professionals. I, I don't really look for people that are going to be the most wealthy. I don't look for the people that are going to be opportunistic for us as a, as a firm. What I look for are people that I genuinely want to go to dinner with, share a glass of wine with, that I enjoy playing golf with. You're going to laugh. Some of those may not be the wealthiest in town, but I promise you the stickiness, if that's such a word, of that relationship for the mutual respect we have for one another will help you through those times where we have disruption, such as how we're feeling now in our United States and the world. And so I don't really go out looking for, quote, a target list of people that I think are going to be the ultra wealthy. I do look for those that have promise. I look for those that do buy into our process, our five-step process we call the life plan solution. If they're not going to buy into that, if they're not going to come to their semi-annual review meetings, if they're not going to be prepared to really move forward, it's kind of like you going to your doctor every year and you go, doc, I need to lose weight. And while you're doing it, you're eating a Milky Way and drinking pop, right? It just doesn't work if you don't buy into the process. So those are how we find our clients. You're going to laugh. I do a lot of prospecting on a golf course. <laughs> I think those are the reasons this profession is so much fun and rewarding, honestly. So we have a lot in common there. Let's talk about your five-step process since you brought it up. Tell us a little bit more about what that is and how that works. And then connected is, to your point just now, if you meet someone who you may not want to go to dinner with, have a glass of wine with, or refuses to follow your process, it's got to be tough to disengage from them. But how would you approach that? Yeah, it's, it's always tough saying goodbye to a friend because you heard me say I really only work with people that I do enjoy spending time with. So let's talk about our five-step process. What I wanted to do is create a very simple yet impactful process that would allow people to understand where they are in the financial planning process. So let me kind of say this, you know, I understand securities drive the means, you know, and as our leader at Cambridge, you know, we, we, we eventually have to sell something or at least place something. I hate the word sell, but we have to place something in the market to really affect our means to what the end should be. But I don't see myself as a stock salesman. I'm more of a strategic allocator, but I use the five-step process to give us our unique selling position over anyone else in town. So you're going to laugh. Let me give you a true story. An initial conference with us is basically just a snapshot meeting. So we call it our strategic snapshot meeting. Come in, let's talk, see what it looks like. And, and then we don't talk about any money. Well, this lady came in. She's about 84, a widow. She'd been at another broker dealer that has national offices all over the place. I won't mention the name, but I'm just saying they're big. They have probably 10,000 of their professionals across the country. And she came to me. And, and the reason she came to me is because one of her lady friends at the club, they play bridge together. She had been a client of ours for years. And she said, you just need to go see our Jimmy and his team. And that's how we get our clients. 92%, we've tracked them. 92% of our clients come from somebody saying something to someone else that we did well. Okay. So she gets an appointment. She comes in for her snapshot meeting. I purposely took her statements, which she prominently laid on top of everything else we asked for. And you could see the brand of that. And I took them and I laid them face down and over here to the side away from me. And I sat there and we just asked questions about her life and what she wants to do in life. And what about her grandchildren? And just these things that we feel are more important than money, Amy. Th these are things that really move the needle on our emotions with people. Now, it's not manipulative. I'm sincerely asking, can I really take this woman and have a glass of wine with her? Can I have dinner with her? Do I feel comfortable with her? Does she feel comfortable with us? That's all this is about. 
At the end of the meeting, at nearly an hour into this meeting, I had no idea what her net worth was actually, had no idea her net investable assets. As you can see, I didn't even ask this whole time. You could tell in her mind, she's beginning to go, uh, hey, Jimmy, are you going to look at those envelopes you laid down over there? And I go, no, ma'am, I'm not. And she said, really? And she took back and she said, but that's all my money. And I looked at her and I meant this as sincerely as it could come out. I said, ma'am, to be very honest with you, that money means nothing to us if we can't have a relationship of respect and reliability in terms of how we're going to function. Is that okay with you? And her mouth just dropped. She said, wow, no one has ever talked to me like that in this role. And the point I'm bringing this out to our listeners is to say this, quit doing what everyone else does and just be you. The key to this in life is not to see how much we can sell. Now, granted, that helps, but that's not the primary purpose. That's a secondary. The whole purpose is to build relationships that we know are capable of bringing that opportunity to light. So don't laugh. I didn't look at anything. Now, when she left, I'm going to be honest with you, my assistant pulled them out, scanned the copies, and did all the stuff we had to do. <laughs> she, she had a, a little over $1.2 million. And that's not the point, though. And my team knows it. They just love it. I do the Karnak thing. I can hold it up for this particular BD. I'll hold it up and I'll hold it to my head and I'll say American funds, Putnam funds, maybe a Polaris variable annuity. And how often are you right? I open it up. Usually I'm right two out of three. Uh, so, so my point I'm making there is, is how, how does our process work? So we bring you in. We have an initial meeting in which we do not talk about money. It's all about foundational relationship building. The second meeting you come in. We've now worked up a preliminary idea to meet your objectives you gave us in the first meeting of how we could get there. And this is our solution presentation process, basically. And then the third meeting is, is a follow-up about a month later that says, have we introduced our team to you appropriately? How's your online access? Some of these things. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a techie. Now, you're going to laugh because I have a podcast. I do all this stuff electronic. I have engineers. I've hired transcriptionists. I do all of this stuff outsourced. I have the Cindy Shouses of Cambridge back behind me doing all this stuff that makes me look great. And I thank them for it. I really do. So then after that third meeting, that month later, everything's working well. We then have them in about every, about six months after that. And the, that point of that meeting is nothing more is to keep the communication lines open. And then the fifth meeting we have is basically an evaluation meeting to say, okay, on the roadmap, on this pathway, this life plan, where are you? And where do we need to go from here and give them guidance? You know, too often my colleagues in this arena say, oh, I've got to be a leader and lead this down the path. And that's not really what my role is. My role is to be a guide. They know where they want to go. They just lack the map. They lack the compass. They lack the opportunities in their minds because they don't have the background to say, what are my options? And that's what we bring. That's fantastic. That's, that's a really great explanation of your approach that I think many of our listeners could get value from. And what I've also taken away from that is listening to you talk about what's important to you and your values tells me why it is that you were just honored as one of our 2020 Spirit of Cambridge honorees. And I'm so happy for you. And I'd love to hear you just give us a few words about what that meant to you. Oh, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't do anything to receive awards, but I do one thing in life purposefully, and that I do go out to uh, connect with people. And, and to me, the more relationships I can have, just like at Cambridge with the team there, I'm going to say some names that you're going to be shocked. So I've been there over 10 years. The Susan Silvers of the day, man, the ones you just meet that hug you literally 
and then go, we can make this transition as smooth as possible. And those kinds of people really just inspire me to want to connect with them more, right? And to be frank, not to embarrass my host, but Amy Weber, you know, we worked at a previous BD. I didn't know you then that well, but I knew of you and, and Jeff Avacqua worked there as well. I mean, we've got some great people on, on my team. I call Cambridge my team. Those people are the ones that want me to continue to be inspired and do what I do. And I love to work with people like that. Now, I'm going to say this, at home office, not everything's going to go perfect. It doesn't go perfect in our office. But what I have found is I get far more done with sugar than I do vinegar. If you'll just be understanding, it goes back to that flexibility, which is one of the attributes of Cambridge. You got to learn that people are going to need to have some time to work through some things to make things work because we have such an open architecture. It's, you can serve your clients in any way that's compliant and do it well at Cambridge. And that's what I love about this. So to receive this award to me meant nothing more than I got the respect that I wasn't really asking for, but working for with the same team. I couldn't agree more. It's pretty impressive that our 900 employees are the ones that put those votes out there. You've touched a lot of lives. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about something I also know is near and dear to your heart, which is a healthy work-life balance. What advice do you have for other financial professionals, our listeners and aspiring financial professionals regarding how important work-life balance is? So Amy, I'm gonna tell you what I've done with this term. I don't believe you can truly achieve work-life balance. What that would mean to me is that 50% of my life's in my career, 50% is in some personal means and you just stay on this teeter-totter. I got to the point, I tried that for years. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I did my best. I've studied time management. I've gone to classes on it and all this stuff. And I felt so frustrated. About seven, eight years ago in my career, I got this epiphany. I don't really need work-life balance. It just isn't gonna work for me because there are times I wanna spend 100% of my time with my family. Uh, there are times I wanna be 100% engaged, such as when we have a new transition to some kind of uh, regulation or compliance measure or we're trading systems or whatever. So what I call it is work-life integration. Those times when I need to be 100% in, all in, spirit, heart, head, whatever it is, body, I need to be in on those levels. If it's my kid's graduation, I need to be there, turn work off. If I need to be at work and not thinking, this is terrible to say about family and distractions, I need to be there, okay? So I call it work-life integration. And let me tell you my secret to that. And it is so simple that if your listeners will just implement that's the weak point they all know what to do they don't do it here's how they can do that first and foremost i have routines in place now i'm not a mark zuckerberg i don't wear the same shirt every day i don't wear hoodies to work i mean <laughs> i will tell you though my team is shocked i haven't been wearing a suit and tie during all this like i normally do and they're like what's happened midlife crisis no man just everybody chill it's just a crisis outside we're going to dress calmly and be on zoom meetings all day so I really do this. My routine is this. I get up at 5 a.m. Now you're going to laugh. Everybody's going, what can you do three hours before the day starts? I get a lot done. I'm an early riser. I'm not a late night guy anymore. I used to be able in college to stay up, sleep three hours, be fresh as a daisy. That doesn't happen at 55, Amy. So what I do is I get up at five. I do my Bible study, my prayer time. I get ready. And then I go into my home study that you see behind me here today. And I will then write in my journal about what happened yesterday. And then I also plan for my day. I have a planner. I, I plan out my big three for the day. These are three things that move the needle on our progress and our goals we have set for us, not only as a team, 
but me personally. And a lot of times I'll be writing in my book that I'm still working on. It's taking me a little longer with this disruption, but I'm getting there. So that's my routine every day, except one day, Sunday. I sleep in till I wake up and don't laugh. I sleep in. It's usually about seven. And so I get up at seven on Sundays. Uh, yeah, your crowd's listening to this going, oh, my Lord, this guy's terrible. Uh, but my point is, is I, I, it's my life. And what I have done with that is to keep me focused on things, to get more done, to manage my life better, is I get up before the others get up to distract my day. I can get those big rocks in, if you will, kind of that, that analogy of get the big rocks in first, the little rocks will fall into place. And you're going to laugh. I hire a great team. It's going to come out terrible. I've got a great assistant. I don't let everybody talk to me. I love our, we don't call them wholesalers anymore. We call them affinity partners. They need to talk to us. We want to talk to them. That's great. But you know what? Maybe that call would be better fielded by my Amy, one of our client relationship managers, need to understand a little bit more about the product. I don't need to talk to all those people unless I need to talk to them and I'll do the initiating. So that sounds terrible, but that's where we're at. I, I just can, my time is so guarded because I need to be with clients and I only work on clients four days a week. Now that doesn't mean Friday's a fluff day. Friday's an admin day for me that basically says, did I get everything cleared out of my email review? Did I get everything signed on the dotted line? Did I get everything done for next week and plan for the next week in terms of client meetings? So I meet with clients four days a week, Monday through Thursday, any admin work I do or any affinity partners, as I call them, wholesalers, I'll meet with on a Friday phone call. I don't allow them in my office because it's just uh, the 30 minutes goes into an hour and they want to talk about golf games and stuff. I get that, uh, but let's go play golf. And then that's different, right? So, so I hope I didn't offend you on that, but that, no. that's how I do things. And, and getting that kind of a routine lifestyle, somebody says, well, wait a minute, man, that's a boring lifestyle. I take off 12 weeks a year. We still grow at about 29% per revenue. You can sit at your back office. We work when we're at work. We play hard when we're playing, man. And we travel all over the world. Great advice. So Jimmy, let's change direction again. I mentioned it earlier when I talked about how the tables have turned and you and I are on opposite sides of the podcast chair, if you will. I think our listeners would really, really enjoy hearing what drove you to start your podcast, Live a Life by Design. And as a fellow host, and others who are listening who might be considering starting their podcast, what kind of advice do you have about that journey of yours? Oh, goodness. I hope everyone can hear this and learn from the mistakes I made, which I'll be honest with you, I capitalize on a lot of that with, with people. I uh, read books and I listen to audios and go listen to them speak and, and just watch how they form uh, their, their lifestyles. And so let me explain a couple of things about podcasting. First and foremost, it is not a lone wolf prospect. I didn't get into this thinking I knew how to run all this technology. Be frank with you. All I did is start researching it, found out what I needed. And then I called in an engineer and a company that takes care of all that for us. They, they host it, they edit it, they help promote it. It's, it's everything. All I like to do is create content and speak about my passions and what I enjoy that I think others may find helpful. And so do not start out being a lone wolf. I do believe also the second step of this is if you're going to start a podcast, be in it for more than the short term. You will not see immediate success. I had five episodes already ready to go and launch so that when we came out, no matter what was going on in my life, it would come out every day of that week that it was supposed to on time. So every Monday, I've not missed one. We're up to 81 episodes. I've not missed a week. You heard me earlier say I take off 12 weeks a year. 
I took a sabbatical last month. I took off for four weeks solid in August. Didn't miss a beat because I had them already ready to go. Now that works on evergreen subjects, but not on everything. So that's one thing to think about as well. And the last thing I would encourage you to do is this. Don't do this thinking you're going to go out in the world and make a lot of money and attract a lot of money from it. I will say to you, we have gained several clients from this podcast being out there, but that was not its intent. My real intent here was to change the hearts and minds of a world that I think is too negative. You'll only hear from us what we call the powerfully positive messages of the day. Matter of fact, don't laugh. I call myself the pastor of positivity with a master's degree in motivation. This is how I come across on this because in my mind, that's what I want to see achieved. So if you take those three things and understand that if you implement them, you will have success in some form. It may not be the success you define immediately, but to me, it's just chiseling away at that granite stone until I see that Michelangelo has created David. It takes a few months. It may take a year. We have thousands of followers. We're in 27 countries. How do I know that? The engineer guy tracks it and tells me this. And I go, really? He goes, yeah. And so to me, that is why you need someone backstage, as I always refer and I'll be frank with him. I'm, it's not an ego thing for me. It's a personality thing. I'm a front stage guy. To be honest with you, all that rehearsing and prepping, I'm not a big fan, but it has to happen. I spend literally, and I don't laugh, it takes a lot of time. I spend about two hours a week creating, writing, and recording the show. That's it. Because I have so many other people doing transcription work. I have a transcriptionist, audio engineer. I've got a website webmaster that all I do is mention, here's coming the podcast. We set it all up in Slack. I do use that type of technology. We use Dropbox for holding the podcasts and episodes. We communicate that away with everyone on the team. I send out one, one message. It goes to everybody and I get out of the way. Literally, that's it. I can say that I do the same. I am at the very beginning of this. As you know, you're in like the top 10 episodes that I've been doing. So I can't wait till I can say I've done 81. Well, I'm, I'm a little hurt, Amy. I thought I'd be number one in your podcast episodes, but... <laughs> Well, we can shift it around. <laughs> the experts will figure out how to do that. Yeah. Uh, because like you, you, that is not what I do. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I have learned, even in the early stages of my podcast journey, that one of the more enjoyable questions is a fun fact about my guests. So let's talk about what I've heard is this obsession you have with Disney and Universal, in particular your most favorite Disney princess? <laughs> I don't know where you've got your research from, but they are spot on with Jimmy Williams and family. Uh, so we are big time Disney fans, have been since our older daughter was like three. So to make this a very short but very impactful story, I couldn't have gone to Disney World as a family. I'm the youngest of six, raised up in rural America. We just didn't have vacations that you couldn't put us, don't laugh, in the back of a pickup with a camper on and drive somewhere. We had a lot of great family times, but we just didn't get to go to these kinds of events. So my wife and I at that time took our older daughter. She was age three. Now it's very young. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a blast. I've never been to Disney. I think I got as excited as my kid did, right? Now my wife had gone as a child. She's the only child. So I always tell people I'm youngest of six. I'm married an only child. How does that reconcile? But anyway, so we drove down there. So lesson number one, if you're going to Disney World from Central America here, <laughs> Central U.S., don't drive. Don't drive. We don't drive anymore. That is a long ways to drive with a three-year-old. The flights will get there just fine, I promise you. But the one thing about Disney we liked is I wanted something where it was clean, a positive atmosphere, family-oriented, 
and that our kids can step away from the reality of school, life, dance, whatever they're in, and just be enveloped with somebody that loves them and cares about them. Man, that's Disney to us. Universal, same thing. So we actually, the first, gosh, till our kids were 16, 17 years old, we went to Disney and Universal literally every year doing something in addition to other things. And so what we do basically is my younger daughter, when she was about eight or nine, she said, dad, you're always talking to us about goals. And I'm like, Hey, it's soaking in. All right. So, so we're sitting down having a serious conversation in our great room. And I'm sitting there in my chair. I put my wall street journal aside back then we got it on paper. If that tells you anything, uh, but I put it aside and my daughter's going, dad, I've got a serious goal, but I'm going to need some help to reach it. And I said, Hey, now you're talking bad. Come on, bring it on. This is collaboration at its finest. Dad's behind you. What do we need to do? She said, I want to go to every Disney park on the planet. I said, you got it, baby. We've been to Paris, been to Disney world and uh, Disneyland in Anaheim, Disney world here. We had planned this year to go to the Asian. There's two of them there. We only had one prior. There's two now in Asia, one's in Hong Kong. Another one, I'll have to go look where it's at, but they're in the same area of the world. We were going to hit those this summer. Didn't cause us to change our goal, Amy. It caused us to just change our timing of the goal. So we will still go, although she's 19 now, we're still going to get it done. And we're going to go over to the Asian uh, Disney worlds and whatever else they bring to pass. But we had the best time. I want to give you a cute story though. We're in Euro Disney, north of Paris. And by the way, we were in Paris a couple of weeks. I got to tell you, beautiful. I love the city. I'm a history nut, a lifetime learner. love that stuff. But anyway, we're in Euro Disney. And if you can't tell, I have a distinguished sounding dialect. I, I have this distinguished voice. And so we're over there in line, as you do when you're at any Disney venture. But so we're in line and these people would come up to us in their broken English language and say, are you from America? course i'd look at them and i'd say yes we're from central united states oklahoma they go oh yeah oklahoma go to disney world florida go to florida <laughs> so much bigger the biggest ones in disney world and this year i thought amy was taking us all to disney world this year we were going to be in orlando so tell our travel team get it back on the books we'll go to orlando uh, my favorite princess though just, this is tough man i gotta tell you my family and i have dined in the castle with the princesses at Disney World. So, you know, I'm gonna reach down deep, not to show favoritism, but I gotta tell you, my favorite one is Ariel. You're gonna laugh. There's just something about mermaids that just are different, unique. And I just think the story of her finding true love, but giving up her voice so that she could get legs to go find the man, all that to me just really is a great, great story. I, I just love them all. Hey, that's awesome. What I've learned, I'm also a fan of the happiest place on earth because I believe it is one of the happiest places on earth, but I know people who hate it, you know, went once or say they'll never ever go. But I have fond memories of, I, I'm not nearly as successful as you at going to all of the parks across the world, but one of the early visits with my daughter and we walked in the gate and she went into the store and she bought the Cinderella dress and the wand and the shoes. And that child walked around that park the entire day as Cinderella. So I think princesses make people happy too. Well, I'm going to say this. So when you get a chance, here's what I would explain. Now your children, I think are, are my daughter's ages. If I recall when they were little, I bought them shares and this is not advocating you to go buy shares. Anybody list compliance, don't take this too far, but I bought shares in Disney because I wanted them back then to say, 
I own part of Disney when they walk on, you know, I go, look, girls, you own a very, very small piece of Disney. And so it confused my younger daughter because she said, well, she'd go up somewhere and think that because I own part of it, I should get to get right in the front of the line. And she goes, dad, why we're waiting in line? We own Disney. And I go, no, that's not how this works. So I had to kind of keep bringing up, but I thought you'd love that story. And so what I do is I basically try to involve my life of my family around things that all of us enjoy that are clean, positive, powerful points of life. And that's what we do. Jimmy, great message. Absolutely inspiring. As we wrap this up, I have what might be a single most important and common question that we get from people that are looking to grow their business. You talked earlier about your phenomenal success. Congratulations and your growth and how, how that all happens. We've spent this entire time talking about that. But if there was one piece of solid advice that you could give financial professionals on how to grow their business, what would it be? Yeah, I think the one most common bit of advice that has been proven over and over again to us in growing our business is be authentic, be sincere, and know what you're trying to attract. You didn't hear me say pursue it. Younger in my career, man, I chased everybody at the country club. I chased them in the local rotary club, the, whatever club I was in had business cards handy. I got to be honest with you, the times have changed. Jim Rohn's one of my great mentors. I probably got every book the man's written. He's deceased now. I've got every audio he's produced. I'm just a big fan. Never got to see him live. Zig Ziglar, I got to see three times. I still own all of his stuff. And one thing I will tell you from the philosophy of business that we use now is we simply attract success because you cannot pursue it and ever achieve what I consider lasting success. Oh, sure, you'll have a year, you'll be a $3 million producer, but I'm telling you, the house you build on that success will not last if it's not foundational in terms of your sincerity of what you're doing to help others. And they see that as opposed to just being another person on the old ledger that they're going to bring money to that. That's not what you want to be. We have such great relationships with 99% of our clients that they have a new baby born or a new grandbaby. We get notices from them. They'll send us notices. They call us before they go make any major purchase, second home, or they're going to do an endowment of a contribution so large, you know, two or $300,000 to the university to help their, their family get started in life. They contact us do yourself a favor and start out with sincerity. Build that as the foundation of your business to grow. Second thing is you got to be competent. You cannot be in this business and not be a lifetime learner. Things change every day. We attack things on a tax efficient basis. That's my background, CPA and master's in tax law. I love the stuff, but clients don't. They only want to know how do I get the prescription? I don't necessarily want you to shove the pills down my throat. Give me what my options are. Our role here is not to be leaders in their lives. They're the leaders. They are merely looking at us for guidance. We are the guides that help them say, okay, do I take path A or B? What's at the end of those paths? What would be the detriments? What's the benefits? That's our role. Let them make good decisions based on all of the information necessary to do so. And the last thing I would say to building our business that's really been profound for us is surround yourself by people more capable than you. Yep, you heard it right here. I am pretty darn competent, but I'm going to tell you my team, of which we celebrated this wonderful award, the Cambridge Spirit Award last Friday. I surprised them all with a cake. Now, some about half of my team's remote, which that's kind of common now because you got to get talent where you can. So they got flowers. The rest of the team got a cake and some celebration in the office that could come in that day on Friday. So we were so honored 
that just tells the testament not only of what what I do, but it tells the testament really of what we do. And as Cambridge is competent, we want them to grow. We want our entire partnership to grow in unison so that we all rise to the level of excellence. Now, I'm not perfect, definitely not, but I will tell you, I do strive hard to be excellent and that's the goal for us. Jimmy, you have just given our audience in this time we've spent together so many examples of why this is an honorable profession, how to be successful. For me, stronger when united, as we've been talking about, especially since the COVID hit all of us so quickly and harshly. And you're just a, a real example of Cambridge Stronger, and I'm glad that you allow Cambridge to be a part of that. Well, thank you, Amy. And the only thing I want to leave your audience with is if you truly, in fact, want a rewarding life, career, and all this work-life integration to work well, do me a favor. Don't listen to everybody else out there and how they do it and what works for them, but you go out and live a life by your own design. That's the whole key to this. Couldn't say it better and fully agree. So, Jimmy, thanks for coming on with us today. And I truly appreciate you just being in our lives. Well, I appreciate your partnership and most of all your friendship, Amy. Take care. It's been my pleasure. You too, my friends. Talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com.